the message of Christ and the challenge there, a huge part of the message of Jesus is peace on earth, isn't it? It's peace with yourself, it's peace with God, and then it's also peace with others as the gospel works its way out and as the gospel flows through and impacts people's lives. Guys, thank you for, for being with us and doing that. Well, as, I, as Connor mentioned, it is fun to see a bunch of different sweaters. So, uh, you know, I, as I think about the life and I, I think about who God is, I was talking with someone this morning, and we're going to go into, the, into Genesis uh, and, and walking through Genesis and looking at Genesis beginning in the new year. And I was talking to someone about it. And in chapter 1, it talks about, it says, let us create man in our image. And God is saying he's going to create mankind in his image. It says, and in his image, he created us. And we're, we're created in the image of God. And I, I have to tell you, I don't think God is always stiff and serious. And you look around creation, and you see things that are rather funny and entertaining, but also you look at people, and mischief and humor is just part of our DNA and our makeup. Now, Connor is talking about how we've been teasing him, and if you see any pictures of Connor around here today, it's not my fault because I did not do it today. <laughs> but as I look up, some of the mischief that Connor's a part of, we have the abominable snowman and we have Buddy sneaking out of the baptistry. But he also got me pretty good this week because I have a little extra room in my office and he snuck Buddy into my office. <laughs> and as I opened the door, he was there to surprise me and I finally came out and he's at his desk just spilling a gut. <laughs> so mischief is kind of fun and mischief is a really good thing and laughter is really good. And you look around our world and God creates laughter and he creates fun. So I think it's great for us also in the context and the flow of life to also have fun. So I'm glad you all participated and entered into fun and enjoyment because I think also that's part of worshiping our Lord. You know, I do wonder when we get to heaven if there will be comedy clubs in heaven. I got to be honest, I got to say that, you know. Now the good news is we'll be able to go to that comedy club and we won't have to worry about the material we'll hear. Um, But God created humor. He created us in his image. And so I think that's kind of fun to realize, you see, I'm using that word. I think it's kind of great and wonderful to see that God, I think, created us to have fun, to laugh, and to know joy. And so it's great stuff. Well, this morning we want to continue in our conversation with the prequels, and we're going to go to a prequel that's right before. And I want us to look at Mary and Joseph this morning. And um, so we're going to look at the prequels that, that impact who they are and, and some of the ways that it impacted Jesus. And there's a final verse we're going to look at today that I think that I, I looked at that and something jumped out to me as I looked at that this past week that, that I hadn't really noticed before that I'll, I'll touch on that I think is really kind of cool and connected to the prequel component. But before we jump into it, let's have a word of prayer if we can do that. Father, I just thank you for the time you've given us this morning to spend time in your word, Father, to just learn from you, but Father, also to look at the individuals that have preceded Jesus, and Father, some of the examples that we learn from them, and, and, the root, and, the, and the things of life that we can pull from. And Father, I think particular of Mary and Joseph, and some significant things that are going on there that we can just pull from, for which I'm grateful for. 
Father, just ask you would guide our time this morning as we look at your word. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. So a few things here to look at this morning, and let me deal with the first one as far as the first of the prequels for Mary and Joseph are concerned. Perception is not always reality. It just is not always reality. And I'm going to pick on a couple of areas of Mary and Joseph. Let's go to Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. Luke chapter 1, 26 to 38. It says, in the sixth month, and talking about Elizabeth, her pregnancy, um, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. And we know where this is going to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David, The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. And we see this, but but she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. And if you kind of look at that passage in Luke, and and you won't turn to it here, but when you see the angel appear to Zechariah up in chapter Chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, and I'll just read that from, from what I have here. It says, The angel Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. It says, And when Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. And then we come to this verse here where Mary looks at this and says, And Mary was troubled because she, by this whole thing, you're you're highly favored. We look at the language and we say, this is kind of wonderful language. Why would you be troubled? I think part of the reason you're troubled is because all of a sudden an angel is standing in front of you. He is saying stuff and you're kind of somewhat freaking out. And I got to be honest with you. If an angel showed up and had a conversation with me, I think I would be freaking out and troubled and didn't, wouldn't really matter what he, he could be saying something amazingly wonderful and I'd probably be troubled because the whole circumstance and the situation would be freaking me out. I have a hunch you might also be the same way. Just like I was not expecting Buddy to greet me when I walked in the door. I have a hunch that if an angel shows up and greets you, you may not be expecting the angel to greet you, and you're going to have a similar response. But it continues. It says, Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Again, this is kind of an intense statement because his kingdom will have no end. We look at the reigns and, and kings and all that kind of stuff and queens, and they all come to an end. Everyone in England is waiting in anticipation for when the queen will die. Now, she has been there for, like, almost forever, it seems like. But she, she's not going to have a forever reign. The first shoe dropped, her husband passed, what, about a year ago? She's next. She's not going to be the queen probably in another 10 years. She may not be queen by the end of this year. Her reign is going to come to an end. Jesus' reign, never going to end. It's never going to stop. It's going to be an eternal reign. 
Mary asked the angel, how can this be? Since I have not had sexual relations with a man, and the, and the angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. We talked about Zechariah and Elizabeth a little bit ago, and, and they were past the age. You know, they're, they're past the age, but apparently not when God is involved. And Mary, I just want to let you know, God is involved here, and what you think is impossible to others perceive to be impossible is not impossible. And we go to that next passage. We go to that passage in Matthew. And God has a conversation, or an angel has a conversation with Joseph. It says that the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way after his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph. We need to pause here and just clarify again. Engagement here is different than engagement in our cultural setting. Okay? So, she was betrothed. And there was... There was a commitment that was there more than just someone saying, will you marry me? And another person saying, yes, I'll marry you. There was a formalness. So it was like part one of marriage, then part two of marriage. So part one of marriage is completed here for Mary and Joseph. So it's, it's, it's more binding. It's, it's not like someone just popped a question. It's like someone has had a conversation with, with mom and dad. And someone has gone to court, and, and some of the legal components and the legal expectations have been fulfilled for marriage. Not consummated, not fully completed yet, but stage one of two stages is complete. Mary had been engaged to Joseph, and it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Now, Joseph didn't know that yet. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, because from his framework of mind probably, there's already enough disgrace that was present for her, and as he would quietly divorce her or annul the relationship that was supposed to take, as things would progress, people would discover in time, and so it didn't feel like he needed to add more to the process of what's going on. He decided to divorce her secretly or quietly. But after he considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Now, perception is not always reality. Was Mary fooling around? No. 
But will the tongues wag? And will insinuation be laid at her feet? Absolutely. Was Joseph fooling around? No. But now that he chose to marry her instead of putting her away quietly, will tongues wag? And people suggest and say things and insinuate things? Absolutely. And it won't just be for the now. Now what's interesting is Mary's in Nazareth, hometown. They go away, and we'll talk about that, and there's a period of time where they disappear. But when they come back after Herod is dead, where do they resettle? They settle in Nazareth. And think of the uh, busybody individuals in town. They're back. They're back. And I bet you they're thinking that they've been gone long enough that we won't remember that she was pregnant first. Do you guys remember that? And tongues will still wag. Perception is not always the substance of reality. It's true for us as Christians as well. As our culture continues to shift, as our culture continues to change, and as the body of Christ and the church of Jesus Christ continues to stand on the truth of Jesus' word, and as we stand for righteousness, as we stand for purity, but also as we call people to a relationship to Jesus, one of the things that we need to do as we call people to a relationship with Jesus is to help them recognize that they are sinners that need to be saved. They are individuals who are sinful and that they need to recognize their need for a Savior. And if they don't recognize their need for a Savior, they can't be saved. But as we acknowledge the reality of sin and as we acknowledge the reality of an individual's particular areas of sin, our culture looks at us and they don't always enjoy it when we identify the reality of sin. And so we're bigoted or we're unkind or, and all sorts of labels start to get labeled on the church or on a Christian. Because they represent the truth of Jesus Christ and because they acknowledge and will not move from the reality that certain patterns of behavior are sin. And they won't move from the fact that an individual who lives apart from God is a sinner needing to be saved. Now last I checked, most people don't enjoy having their sin identified. Most people don't enjoy having someone come to them and say, listen, you're a sinner. People don't enjoy that. And so you get labeled, you get marked, you get defined. But perception is not reality. You become a person who needs to be avoided. Do you realize that in some of the millennial mindset in our culture today and and kind of moving forward, people I've kind of point at my computer here because my Bible is on my computer, but people will look at the Bible and some of the attitude today towards the Bible is it's a hate-filled book. It's a, yeah, because they don't like the message. They say it's a hate-filled message. It's a hate-filled book. That's perception, but it's not real. See, what it actually possesses is the message of life. It's the message of hope. It's the message for eternity. 
But perception is not always reality. And as a follower of Jesus, there are times when we are going to be painted with a particular stroke of life and a particular perception or viewpoint in life that may not be fair and it may be inaccurate. But if you're going to be the person that Jesus has called you to be, you still need to stand in the place where he's called you to stand and to live in the place he's called you to live. Mary and Joseph were called to walk and to live in a difficult spot. And they said yes. Number two. Keep everything in perspective. Keep everything in perspective. Now, have you thought about the fact that Mary and Joseph... I'm going to say at this point, Mary in particular had lots of reasons to be annoyed with God. She had a bunch of reasons to be annoyed with God. Let's first of all go with God's timing. God, I'm engaged. We go to get married. And you've brought this into my life. I'm going to be labeled and defined. Or how about the census that goes out? And God, you have me married to this guy, and now this census goes out, and God, I'm nine months pregnant. And I got to travel about 110 miles walking or riding a donkey to get to Bethlehem. Now, before you say, no, that was... The emperor in Rome's fault, we're going to get to it there in a second. It really wasn't. It was God's timing and God's plans. But God, you, you're, you're making me. I have never been pregnant. But I have talked to women. Yes, that's right. <laughs> what a relief. <laughs> More interesting than ever if that were the case, okay? But as you know, I've never been pregnant. But I have spoken with a number of individuals who have been pregnant. And by the time they get to that nine-month mark, (sighs) don't talk to me. Give me space. Don't make life difficult. Don't even look at me. Nine months. And God, you're making me take, by foot and by donkey, a 110-mile hike. God, I really don't enjoy doing it when I'm perfectly fine. But at nine months? Really? How about this? God, couldn't you have at least booked, me a, booked us a room for the birth class in advance? You're going to stick us in a stable. Now, we thoroughly understand this in our culture today. If you were to go to a local hospital at the birthing room, you would notice this. They have cow manure in a corner. They have a pile of straw that the ladies will lay on. And, and it's 
on a wonderfully sanitary environment for optimal delivery opportunity. Not even close. You know, our ladies that are thinking childhood, if that's where you're going to send me, honey, you're in trouble. (laughs) Not going to happen. No. Totally different world. Now, I've told you guys this before as well. I grew up in dairy country. First time I brought Joan home, I rolled down the window. My neighbor, Paul, had, Mr. Wancha had just spread the manure. I rolled down the window. Smells like home. And Joan's going, close the window, close the window, close the window. (laughs) Just not the environment. Just not the environment we're thinking would be optimal for the delivery of a baby. God, you've had thousands of years in all of history to plan this particular event. And you made me a reservation here in a stable. How about the next one? Mary just finishes having labor and having Jesus. Now again, I have not been in a delivery room But my understanding is it's kind of draining, grueling. And while it's a wonderful event, my understanding is that most women are not ready to entertain company. (laughs) Particularly a crowd of strangers. And what does God do? He sends an invitation to a bunch of strangers out watching sheep and invites the whole crowd to come on over and see this amazing little baby. Keep everything in perspective. So we have reasons for which we can get angry and reasons for which we can be annoyed and we can kind of look at things and we can start creating our list of issues with God and grudges with God. Have you ever heard someone say, when I get to heaven, I'm going to have to have a conversation with God? If we're saying that, we probably haven't done a good job of maybe keeping things in perspective. Because What's going to happen is we're going to find out that God is doing something that we haven't seen that we don't understand. But it's about his glory, and I'm his tool to be used for it in a very positive way. A couple verses to look at. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them, where were the Messiah would be born? And here's the answer. In Bethlehem of Judea, 
they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. God, why did you have me take this trip? Because he had already identified and declared that the promised one was going to be born in the city of Bethlehem. Because this is where he was to be born. How about that next part? Look, at, look down at Luke chapter 2, verses 21 to 24. When the eight days were complete for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. And when the days of their purification, according to the law of Moses, were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now, Jerusalem is a be- Bethlehem is a bedroom community for Jerusalem. And when we talk about the shepherds that were down in Bethlehem watching sheep, most Theologians, and a lot of you would read this in various commentaries at different times when they would talk about this, this event taking place. Many would say, well, probably the shepherds that Jesus sent the angel to, that sent the announce, that God sent the announcement to about Jesus, they were probably shepherds watching temple sheep that were used in temple sacrifice. Because Bethlehem was right next door, bedroom community for Jerusalem and very close to where the temple was located. And so one of the wonderful things why with Jesus being there is that just as it was written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn man will be dedicated to the Lord and, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. They were in the right place at the right time to fulfill and honor the law and to honor God and the expectations he had given so that Jesus could be consecrated and dedicated to the Lord because every firstborn was to be consecrated and given to the Lord. It was the understanding in the nation of Israel that flowed out of Passover. Every firstborn is mine. Every firstborn born in a flock was to be given to the Lord. First fruits were belonging to the Lord. And it was a, a process of dedicating and acknowledging that God is the one who had given, that God is the one who provided, and therefore God deserves our firsts, not our seconds, our thirds, our fourths, but God deserves our firsts. Amen. And so that's the process. It is. Amen. And so the firstborn was dedicated and consecrated. And they were at the right place at the right time to do that. One other thing stands out. Luke, chapter 2, verse 19. I've commented on this in the past. And it, it still is one of those verses and one of those statements that continues to just amaze me. Because as I look at Mary, Mary had good perspective. The shepherds come, they see everything, and we, we read these words. It says, but Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. All this stuff that was going on, all these things that were taking place, what was going on on the internals of Mary was not 
God, this is so annoying. God, this is so frustrating. God, why did you do this? And how come you did that? What was going on on the internals of her was a treasuring and a contemplating. A treasuring. And in interacting with God about the uniqueness and amazingness of what is going on and what he is doing. Can I tell you something? That's keeping stuff in perspective. That is keeping things in perspective. We look at our lives and we ask ourselves about the hard things and hard challenges that face us. I appreciated your celebration and amen to that. You have been dealt a hard hand. And as we talked about that, he said, amen. I'm not going to be angry at God. I'm going to celebrate him and rejoice in him. All of us in our different ways have been given a hard hand to deal with in different areas and in different ways. Some more challenging than others. But the challenge for each of us is to keep it in perspective and to see what God is doing in and through the circumstances that are going on around us. And I really appreciate the fact that in the midst of all of this, we see evidence that Mary has kept it in perspective and is in seeking to see and to rejoice and to celebrate in who God is through the circumstances that she was experiencing and through the hand that God dealt her in her life. Number three, learn the value of promptly obeying God. Matthew chapter 2, verses 7 to 15. Now we find this, we don't know exactly how long probably somewhere between 18 months to two years. We know that somewhere between 18 months to two years after the fact because when the wise men do not come back and report to Herod, Herod sends soldiers out to the area of Bethlehem and they kill a bunch of kids. And they say everyone two years old and younger to kill them. So we know that there's a period of time. We also know that they're in a house now. They're no longer in a stable. But we look at these verses. It says, And Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. And again, not his intent at all. And after hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star they had been, they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. <coughs> Excuse me. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense and myrrh and being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod they returned to their own country by another route now sorry about this I thought I removed this 
pericope. But this is verse 13. After they were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and escaped to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod's death so that what was spoken of by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt I called my son. Now, here's what stands out to me. God had a conversation with Joseph in his dream. Sent the angel to have a conversation. He didn't wait until the next morning. He didn't wait a couple days. That night, as he had that vision and it woke him up, he got up, pulled all the things together that they had, and they hit the road. Before dawn, Stirred before the sun crested the horizon, they were on the road heading to Egypt. The power and the importance of learning to promptly obey God. What struck me is, 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 as I think about this is that God also provided for them. God knew He was sending them to Egypt. And again, the prophecy was, out of Egypt I have called my son. Hearkening back to the nation of Israel coming out of Egypt. But what did God do in preparation for them to be able to go to Egypt, travel to Egypt, and stay there for a period of time until Herod died? They had a number of wise men show up and bestow upon them all sorts of wealth. So that the trip in a time there was financed by God for them to flee and be cared for. Why? Because wide men came carrying gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold and then other items to trade or sell. So that they would be cared for. It's amazing to me, but the power and the significance of immediate, immediate obedience had a youth pastor in Minnesota. Craig is his name. I remember him preaching one Sunday for me. And, and as he was preaching, he talked about the 10-second rule. Now, this is years ago. And so here I stand still remembering the 10-second rule. I might have mentioned it to you before. But the 10-second rule is easy. You have 10 seconds to choose to do the right thing. You have 10 seconds, typically, to choose to either listen to what God is saying to you, to honor what he is prodding you to do, or to say no. The 10-second rule. And as I have thought about this over the years, I think it's probably very accurate. It's not usually a huge gap of time that we contemplate and we chew on the decisions we make and the choices we make to do something. It's often just a very small window of time. Ten-second rule. I'm not sure Joseph took ten seconds. I got the sense that Joseph took about five seconds, maybe less, 
enough time to do this. And then to turn to Mary and say, Mary, we got to get going. Let's get our things together. Let's bundle up Jesus, put our clothes together. We got to get out of here. God just gave me a vision and he said, go. And you know what's interesting? God didn't give all the details, just enough. Go. Learn obedience. Now here's the thing that I mentioned in the beginning that stood out to me. It's in Isaiah. It's that passage that we read earlier, we saw quoted earlier. Look at verse 14. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and and name him Emmanuel. But this was also in the context of a larger conversation. And I have read it before, but this past week as I was reading, it just jumped out to me in a way that I I guess I hadn't noticed before. But look at verse 15, because it's talking about Jesus. It says, By the time he learns to reject what is bad and to choose what is good, he will be eating curds and honey. Super, super young. When do you shift from breastfeeding to starting to feed other things? Honey and curds to encourage them to start eating normal food? Really young. And what's amazing to me is that somewhere in that process, right in the midst of that time, Jesus was understanding and choosing righteousness over sin. Sin doesn't sneak up on us, and our choices are really significant. And Joseph modeled the importance of making an immediate decision to obey and to honor God. And I think a little bit about this as to why God would have placed Jesus in the home of Mary and Joseph. One of the things that stands out to me is I think a major reason is because Mary and Joseph would appear to me to be very righteous individuals, people that were very committed and devoted to honoring God and choosing the right path. All through the conversation and all through the story, immediate willingness and compliance to the call and the direction of God. As God talked to Mary, and the angel said, Mary, you're going to have a baby. Okay. Joseph, I want you to take Mary as your wife. Okay. Joseph, bundle up the family, get out of here. Okay. Immediate obedience. So as I look at these individuals and I look at Mary and Joseph and I kind of follow up on the whole whole idea of those who have preceded Jesus 
for today with Mary and Joseph, three things to walk away with and think about. Perception is not always reality. And the way we are perceived and sometimes we other things are perceived does not always reflect reality. But we have a responsibility to walk and to live in the reality of who we are in Christ. And it doesn't matter how people see us and how people perceive us. We have a responsibility to walk and to live in the reality and to honor Christ. And that's the challenge that's in front of us. We do need to keep things in perspective. And again, I loved the way Mary did that. She pondered them in her heart. She didn't express irritation and aggravation that we see, but rather she pondered them and considered them. And guys, we need to do the same stuff as things roll downhill into our lives that we don't expect or that makes life challenging and difficult. We need to keep our perspective in place. We don't always understand what God is doing either in us or through us, but he is doing stuff, and we need to be willing to let him use us for his glory. And then learning the value of a prompt obeying of God. Learning to say yes. And I appreciate it, as I said, what Craig talked about, because I think there's so much accuracy in that. We have about 10 seconds or less to choose to say yes to God. But you know what really helps us to say yes? Having chosen in advance to live oriented towards saying yes. When we live in such a way that's oriented to saying yes, saying yes becomes much easier. As opposed to choosing to orient towards no. Choose to say yes to God. Let's pray together. Father, I want to say thank you again this morning for your goodness to us, for the richness that you pour out on us in Jesus. And Father, even as we celebrate this season, as we reflect and rejoice in the coming of Jesus, in the giving of Jesus, Lord, I would ask you to continue to direct our hearts, continue to direct our minds to your praise, to your worship, to your adoration. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen to Mary's hymn of praise in Luke chapter 1, right after she heard that she was um, pregnant with God's son. So this is what Mary said. My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has begun to rejoice in God my Savior, because he has looked upon the humble state of his servant. She goes on to say, because he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. From generation to generation, he is merciful to those who fear him. He has demonstrated power with his arm. He has scattered those whose pride wells up from the sheer arrogance of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up those of lowly position. He has filled the hungry with good things and has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy, as he promised to our ancestors, to Abraham, and to his descendants forever. Like, just picture that was her heart's attitude right after she could have been panicking and angry at God. And my prayer is that my heart and your heart will see reality like Mary did and praise God and trust him and be faithful to him. And it's hard. Sometimes when life hits and gets difficult, it feels like we have to dig through 
the natural automatic perspective we have and get to the reality of who God is and what he's really doing and what he's promised. So if you're here and you have believed in Jesus, I would challenge you this week when life gets crazy, you get stressed, you get that phone call or that text you've been dreading, whatever it is, like dig through what the, the temptation to just have the wrong perspective and doubt God. Dig through that to reality by looking at his word, meditating on him, and treasuring him like Mary did. Like dig through perspective to see reality of who God is and what he has promised. Keep doing that week, this week, and keep doing it after. Keep the right perspective. If you have not believed in Jesus, the reality is you're a sinner separated from God, but he sent his son, Jesus, to die so that you could be saved. If you have questions on that, doubts about that, or you want to make that decision, come talk to Pastor Andrew or I after, or just fill it out on the Connect card. Drop it in the plate. So what we're going to do now is we're going to pray. Lord, give us this attitude in this heart, and then we're going to praise through song and as the offering plate passes you let's stand and let's sing to this great God together dear God I I confess that I don't see reality like I should I pray God that I will dig through my doubts and anxieties and worry frustrations and anger to see You are who you say you are, and you will do what you have promised to do. I pray that I will see reality. I pray for every single believer here. They'll trust you, and they'll be faithful. And I pray, God, for those that don't know you here this morning, be working in their hearts so that they will see the reality of eternity, that they will be standing before you one day. Work in their hearts. Thank you. Help us to treasure you. And I pray you will bless this offering so that other people over New Jersey, the country, the world will see reality. Thank you, God.